Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Happy Friday, Options Action fans. I'm Scott Wapner in tonight for Melissa Lee and on tonight's big show. We start out carrot on a stick is gold leading higher than cash out. Why Morgan Stanley might buck the uh, bank trends. Plus a giant trade that suggests one major player thinks the rally is getting a little rickety. On the desk as always, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, Tony Zhang. Good to have everybody here. Let's get right to it. Gold losing a bit of its shine this year, down nearly 8%, but still trading at its highest level since May of 2020. Our chart master, Carter Worth, says now could still be a golden opportunity to buy. So, Carter, what are the charts telling you? Because a lot of people are talking about Bitcoin instead of gold these days. You betcha they do love the Bitcoin. But uh, before we look at the charts, we know that gold has basically had a 20 percent decline after being the single best asset, uh, even including Bitcoin, on a preceding two-year basis. And where it stopped is pretty interesting. Let's look at the charts. Three bullion charts and then three gold mining charts. So the first here, and I've put arrows right at those lows. So whether you call it a double bottom, doesn't matter what you call it. Um, basically three weeks ago we got down to about 1675 an ounce and rallied and then we revisited it just a few days ago and it held now look at the next chart it's the same chart same time frame so what we have now is two circumstances we have broken above the downtrend line in effect for the past four or five months and we have that double bottom again at 1675 now the third gold chart and this is the part that's interesting look at the trend line that's in effect for the past three years. That little double bottom, not randomly, occurred right on trend. And so that kind of action is often the beginning. It's nascent, it's young, but the beginning of more to come. Now let's look at the GDX, that's the Van Eck Gold Miners. The first chart is just the one-year chart, no judgments or annotations by me. Uh, the second uh, GDX chart, here we have the decline put in perspective. Gold miners lost 33% of their value from their peak uh, last August to the lows of just a month ago. To put that in perspective, gold bullion lost 20. And we know this because uh, as operating businesses with leverage, you will have more beta than the commodity. So again, miners down 33, gold down 20. Final chart, same chart. We are just now poking above that very well-defined uh, channel that, that miners have been in since the peak. We think this is the beginning of more to come, and GDX is the thing to be long. All right. So, Mike, then what's the trade? Yeah, so I, I just make two quick points before we get to the options trade. So just taking a look at gold first. I mean, just think about it. This is one of the few risk assets that really hasn't taken uh, charge, basically, along with everything else that we've been seeing in the market. Market at all-time highs, risk assets at all-time highs, but gold certainly far from it. So that by itself presents an opportunity. And this is not just a unique attitude by me. If you take a look at the commitment of traders reports, what you'll see is that actually the net longs in the commodity have been increasing quite considerably. It's actually at a six-week high right now. So this is not a view that uh, only Carter and I are basically espousing at this point. Something else I would point out is just take a look at the multiples for the constituent stocks of GDX. So the gold miners right now on a valuation basis, these things are trading uh, essentially at the lows that they haven't seen since 2013. So we're looking at about 19 times trailing, but only 14 times forward earnings multiples 
for the index as a whole. So when you take a look at these two things, if you're looking at GDX, you have a little bit of a backstop from a valuation perspective. So the trade I was looking at was the June 34, 39 call spread. I was looking at that earlier today. You could buy those 34 calls for about $2.30, sell the 39s against it for about 60 cents. Net, net, you're laying out $1.70. Now, bear in mind that this is actually well in the money because GDX was above 34 as of today's close, even net of its small decline today. So why are we using a call spread in this case, even though the implied volatility of options on GDX isn't exceptionally high right now? And, and this is what I would have you think about. If you went out and bought the June 35 calls, those were trading for about $1.80 today. You'd have a much higher break-even than this call spread would have. And in fact, GDX would need to extend beyond 40 for a long call to outperform that call spread. So this is a situation where you have a lower break-even and the area of uh, outperformance by a, by a naked call to the long side is actually up quite a bit. So I think a call spread is the right play here and I think GDX is a, is a very good setup. All right, yeah, that's what you think, of course. Tony, is he, is he right? Do you like the trade? Uh, I quite like the trade. I do think that, as Carter said, this trade is quite speculative in nature, as he put it, fairly nascent. Hey, Carter, uh, we'll try to get Tony back. What about you? What do you think of the trade here from Mike? Sure. Well, I, I'm all for it, of course. We collaborated on it. But uh, here's the thing. Remember that the GDX is obviously an ETF, and you've got about 50 gold miners uh, in it. But the two big ones, Newmont and Barrick, are about 25%. And I, I believe we've got uh, uh, Barrick, uh, I'm sorry, Newmont Investment Day coming up next week. So there'll be a lot of information there. But either way, having dropped 33% versus gold down 20 and just starting to put it, uh, stabilize putting in its footing, uh, this is a very asymmetrical trade. If you're wrong, it's probably going to muddle. But if you're right, it can fly. You know, Mike, look, yeah, as I, mean, as I said I to Carter add here, at Scotty, the outset, is... Yeah, go ahead. Scotty, if you don't mind, I'm just going to throw in here. So Carter was pointing out that Newmont is going to be presenting next week. And that's a material catalyst for, for GDX and for the gold miners overall. Why? Because it is the largest constituent of the index by far. It actually constitutes more than 15% of GDX. So if we get any kind of a material move in Newmont, not only is that going to translate into movement for the correlated stocks, but of course, just as a single constituent itself, it represents a material part of this index and would drive it higher. Okay. Let's move now from gold to green. Morgan Stanley reporting earnings next week, along with uh, the under, other banks. Uh, excuse me. Uh, Tony Zhang is uh, seeing some signs that this uh, stock might be ready for a breather. Tony, is that right? Yeah, I think it's hard to bet against such a strong stock like Morgan Stanley, but after almost a 55% move since the election, I do think it's time for perhaps some of these banks to take a bit of a pause, especially as interest rates also take a bit of a pause here. If we look at the chart here, the stock looks fairly strong. It recently broke out above its $77 resistance level, came back to hold that as support, but momentum is starting to slow down here. And more importantly, if you look at Morgan Stanley relative to the financial sector, it's starting to lose that relative strength here on that last move higher here. So when you see this type of slowdown on momentum and relative strength going into an earnings event, that's a, that's a concern for me. So when I'm looking at the earnings here, over the past two quarters, you've had some very strong beats on both revenue and earnings, yet the stock declined almost 10%, roughly two weeks 
post those events. So I'm looking at that similar template, especially with trading revenues potentially not as strong this particular quarter. And if we look at the earnings, uh, if you look at the options, currently it's implying about a 4.6% move, while the stock has only moved roughly on average of 2% over the past eight quarters. So the options markets are implying a, a sizable move and the implied volatilities are actually quite, quite elevated. So the trade structure I'm using is I'm going out to May and I'm selling the 80, 85 call spread here, a credit spread, and I'm collecting about $3.10 to sell that May $80 call option and spending about $1.30 to buy that $85 call option to control my risk here, collecting about $1.80 in credit. So that's about 38% of the width. And this is a strategy that's gonna be profitable as long as Morgan Stanley doesn't run substantially higher here from here on earnings. Yeah, all right, Mike, how, how about it? Yeah, so uh, definitely if you're taking a look at this, I like taking advantage of the fact that implied volatility is elevated going into the catalyst. That makes it a good setup for selling options. And of course, we don't want to sell naked call options because that carries unlimited risk. And the other thing, of course, is that here with the market having just hit all-time highs, we also have Morgan Stanley, which actually doesn't seem to be doing the same. So to me, that's some relative weakness that I'd want to keep an eye out for. But I will say that among the financials, Morgan Stanley is one of my favorites. And as long as you continue to see elevated equity markets, elevated uh, market prices, they're a big asset manager and they're net beneficiaries when you see that going on. So uh, I still like the name, but I do hear what Tony is saying, and I could see it taking a pause, and that's essentially what this trade is. It's betting that it's going to pause here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what about you, Carter? I mean, a lot of it has to do with rates, too, and, and where they go from here. Sure. Sure. But it's just so extended, and that's the beauty of selling a credit spread. You're talking about from the October low, Morgan Stanley's up 85 percent versus the S&P up 25 uh, it's trading 40 plus percent above its 150-day moving average. That's only happened one or two other times in its history. So it's it's pretty hot, and I think uh, taking options approach is is what's smart. There's also this, and this is kind of tragic. The stock is still below its peak from 2000. Can you imagine that? 20 years, and you still haven't made any money in Morgan Stanley. Wow, wow. Now, well, that puts it that puts it into perspective, to say the least. <laughs> All right, Tony, we're back to you. Uh, well, when you look at this, really, from my perspective, the trading revenue this particular quarter may not be as strong, especially with equity volatility coming down. Um, that's really my concern here. And again, the template from the last couple of quarters, every time that this stock has blown earnings out of the water, stock's down 10%. And I'm expecting you're going to see similar uh, template here this, this uh, next week. Okay, still to come inside a multi-million dollar volatility play that signals at least one big market player thinks the rally is running a little too hot. And remember, for everything Options Action, check out our website and sign up for our newsletter. We're back right after this. We're back on Options Action. What a market we are in, the volatility index at one-year lows, the S&P, all-time highs in crude oil, nearly $60 a barrel. Mike Coe says this is exactly the right time to whip out your protection playbook. Mike, what are you looking at today? Yeah, so we're going to take a look at uh, the VIX and VIX options. And I think we need to get some key concepts out of the way because we often talk about the VIX index. But when it comes to the tradable instruments on the VIX, that is VIX futures and it is options on those futures. So the first thing is, when we take a look at this, just remember that the VIX index is just a calculation. The tradable instruments 
are the futures. The second thing that I think it's important to remember, and I think most people realize this, but it's good to go over it again, and that is that the VIX and the S&P are anti-correlated. That typically means that as one goes up, the other goes down. If you're making a bullish bet on the S&P, you're probably betting that the VIX is going to fall. If you're making a bullish bet on the VIX, you're probably betting that the S&P is going to fall. So if you take a quick look at the price of the futures, you get what we call the term structure. So if you're looking at a term structure chart, what's on your lower left is what the spot VIX index is. When people talk about the VIX index, that's what you're seeing. And the longer dated stuff is what you see on that term structure there. And right now, the trade we're going to be talking about is a big one that we saw out in July. And one thing that I want to quickly point out is that when the term structure inverts, that is that you see, for example, what we saw in March of 2020, that was the all-time high in spot VIX, those longer dated futures will not typically go up as much as the spot VIX index will. Why is that an important thing to point out? Because the trade that we saw this week, it actually took place yesterday, was a purchase of 200,000 July 25 40 call spreads. So when that person is buying that, they're actually buying options on the July VIX future. Now, because we understand how these VIX futures behave, we're buying something that actually closed around 23 today. But for it to get up to 40, spot VIX would have to be substantially, substantially higher. Now, they were able to spend about $2.07 on those call spreads each. But times 200,000 and times the 100 multiplier, that represented an outlay of more than $40 million in premium. So we often talk about using puts as portfolio protection or put spreads as portfolio protection. But this is another way you can hedge your portfolio if you're concerned about elevated volatility, if you're concerned about market pullbacks. The thing to remember, though, is that it's going to behave a little bit differently than a put, but essentially that's what you're getting. And it seems like this is a very large bet, probably to protect a very large portfolio. Yeah, that was a, certainly a big talker. Carter, what are the charts telling you? Sure, I have two VIX charts. The first uh, and the important thing here is what happened this past week. You see that circle there. When COVID came to town, so to speak, Monday, February 24th, the S&P futures gapped down. Very rare to get a gap in the futures. And the VIX gapped up. We filled that gap. It was the only unfilled gap in the history of the VIX, second chart. So you see the line I've drawn there. In that VIX is mean reverting, and it, it often gaps. In fact, uh, it's about 14% of the time going back to data in 1992. But it almost always fills those gaps. And in fact, this one that persisted, one of the longest on record from February 24th, has been filled. We're at a point where you're likely to get a pop in the VIX. Ah, interesting. Tony, do you agree? What do you make of the VIX? Uh, yeah, so I think this is a very interesting highlight that retail traders can use to understand how institutional investors will hedge their downside or tail risk on a large equity portfolio. Now, what I think is interesting about this particular trade is the timing of it, because uh, Mike referred to the VIX term, uh, term structure. And one of the interesting things about the VIX term structure right now is that, as Mike said, the July, op uh, the July futures are fairly elevated. The July VIX futures closed today at 23 spot 28 while the front month, the April futures closed at 18 spot 35. So the, front, the, the back month, the Julys, are 25% higher than the front month. That's a high level of, uh, of complacency that I currently see in the market. So I think this, uh, this trader is taking advantage of the fact that 
uh, buying options are fairly inexpensive here. Try and take advantage of it. I think it's a smart, low-cost way to potentially hedge a large institutional equity position. Mike, you get the last word on the VIX. Yeah, so you know, one of the other ways that we sometimes think about how expensive options are, VIX is obviously one way to think about it. That's the implied volatility for various 30-day windows on S SPX options. But an important consideration also is with respect to how volatile an index can be, how correlated the underlying stocks are. Right now, the implied correlation for short dated options in the S&P, how much stocks track together, is really quite low. And essentially what happens when you get sort of a risk-off scenario, everybody runs for the exit, correlation shoots up, and that also can lend some support to the options on those indices. So I think one of the reasons that we're starting to see that is that people are recognizing right now that we do have considerable complacency and not all risks are behind us. So I think this is a kind of a good opportunity right now. Market at all-time highs. We're starting to see options premiums come in at long last. This is an opportunity for people to think about hedging their portfolios. Yeah, I hear you. All right. Up next, one of our traders bet on a real estate rebound is about to pay off. We're going to tell you exactly how. Plus, you ask, we're answering. Send us your burning options questions uh, on Twitter at Options Action, and you just might get your answer on the air. We're back after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at one of our open trades. Two weeks ago, Co and Carter bought some real estate. I think basically REITs are headed back to uh, their pre-pandemic level. And that would be about an 8% move from here. And we like them long by virtue of what a broad uh, representation they are. I was looking at the June 91 calls. Now, IYH at the time was trading around 91.40. So these were about 40 cents in the money at that time. I could pay $3.10 to buy those calls. The important thing to think about is the extrinsic premium that I'm spending. That's really the decay that that option is going to incur over time, which is about $2.70 or about 3% of the strike. All right, so far so good. You got about two months to go until expiration, Mike. What are you doing now? Yeah, I mean, I think this uh, is still probably a little bit intact. We're not quite to our price objective, but I do think that these are now well in the money and there's an opportunity here to roll them up and out. Uh, the next expiration out is September. You could look to the 94 calls and you'll also be taking a little bit of money off the table. Uh, these are worth about $4.20. So we've seen a little bit of a profit here. Okay, Carter. Well, what's happened, of course, is that as rates have pulled in from 177, and it was part of the, the, the judgment here, is that uh, utilities REITs would come to life, but specifically REITs. The big towers, which are the big weighting in the IYR, have had a very substantial gain. And so uh, while they might be a little tired, other REITs are also starting to join. So stay with it. Okay, Tony, your turn. Yeah, I think rolling it is the smart thing to do. Lock in a little bit of profit and still give yourself that upside or still still maintain that upside. And especially as the real estate market, the REITs have been extremely strong. Residential, the logistics companies, even the, the companies for, uh, for, for cloud computing. So for those reasons, I think the fundamentals look very strong here for REITs. All right, let's, let's do some tweets, if we could. Mike Coe, coming to you first. Mike, the trade you suggested on Microsoft last month doing pretty well. But the short 250 call is underwater. The short 210 put and long 230 call are doing well. Would you close the whole thing now or roll the short options further out? 
Yeah, I think what we want to do here is you want to roll this whole trade. So basically it hit our short-term price objective of 250, actually exceeded it a little bit. So what we're looking to do is probably sell something like a 220 or 230 put, buy those longer dated at the money 250s, and then sell perhaps some 270s against it. Essentially we're taking the whole trade and pushing it up and out. What about you? What do you think, Carter? Well, I mean, if the phrase godlike could be used, Microsoft is that, as distinct from the volatility we've seen in Amazon or Facebook, even Apple. Uh, Microsoft has just been in a persistent and reliable uptrend. In many ways, it's the most defensive of the super cap marquee names. Just stay long, be long. Okay, our next viewer asks, uh, first solar seems like a good infrastructure play and is currently on a downtrend. What looks like a good support level to start setting up a trade. Tony? Uh, a lot of the solar stocks have come in, a lot of these high beta tech names, most of them have come up off almost 50% off of their highs. So I do think that right here, maybe a little bit more of a pullback are opportunities to look for the long term, especially if you're looking out more than a year out in terms of investment. All right, it's that time. Carter, you have a final call for us? Well, you bet, uh, gold. You can do GLD, the bullion, or you can do GDX, the miners. Okay, Tony? I'm looking for a pause here on the bank's rally, looking to sell a call credit spread for Morgan Stanley earnings. All right, Mikey. GDX call spreads and think about hedging your portfolio. All right, it does it for us here on Options Action. Of course, we're back next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Don't go anywhere, though. A bonus edition of Fast starts right after this quick break. Have a great weekend, everybody.